Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome John Thompson. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Nice to uh, be on. Good to see you. Thank you kindly for coming on the podcast. Uh, John is an author of The Dashboard Effect. He's a co-founder and chief strategy officer at the Blue uh, Margin, Inc., has been an entrepreneur and business executive for over 25 years, co-founding many companies. And um, so before we jump into your business career and in your recent accomplishments, talk a little bit about family. Where do you live? And uh... Yeah, so our company is here in Fort Collins, Colorado, about an hour north of Denver. I live in Windsor, which is just across I-25, a little bit to the east. Uh, five daughters, two left at home. We've got about four months left till we're empty nesters. Yeah, grew up. Yeah, I was born in California, but came out here when I was two years old. So I don't remember that, but been been Colorado ever since. Big family. Oh, God yeah. bless. Five girls. Yeah, and I'm the youngest of four boys. So go figure. Yeah, go figure. So um, uh, let's talk a little bit about your company. So yeah. what does your company do and uh, how does it help? Uh, business executives, leaders, um, how does data help uh, improve growth, profitability, and culture? Yeah, great questions all. That's sort of the the, the uh, umbrella to it all. Uh, so we specialize, there's 32 of us here at uh, Blue Margin, all in the office. Um, we're Microsoft Gold Partners. So that's the platform we specialize on for data. Uh, we don't have any financial connection with Microsoft. It's just the platform that we've chosen. It's a pretty big universe itself. So it takes a full-time focus to be able to leverage all of it. Um, and we help companies to essentially make use of their data, leverage their data to drive growth, to drive their, their um, growth plan, their profitability, their culture, and so on. And the ways that it helps, probably a good analogy is an F1 cockpit You've got uh, in, in F1, I had the chance to go to a race for the first time in Austin last year, and it was overwhelming. It was like showing up at five NFL games at once. Um, and the amazing thing is that a team I learned is maybe 2,000 people in that company, in that team. It all comes down to two drivers and two cars on a racetrack, and all of their effort, <clears throat> their investment, their technology innovation, their engineering their training, et cetera, comes down to that moment with the driver and in the cockpit on the steering wheel is a set of instrumentation that gives them the advantage that they need to understand what's happening with the car, uh, what's coming up, how they can uh, be prepared for that, how they can adjust accordingly. And the reason I like that analogy is because in any machine, let's take a business, call it a machine, you've got what it does the function that it serves, the market that it serves, the product it produces, the investments it manages, and so on. And the other side of that is the telemetry, the, the output of how is this machine doing? So if it's a log processing machine, you're looking at how, how are the logs coming out? Are there any uh, defects or flaws? You're getting some sort of feedback, even without real instrumentation. 
if it's a complex services or investment or manufacturing or distribution machine, you have a lot more that you need to read in order to optimize the machine. You can't just drive the car. You got to see how hot the tires are, what the oil pressure is, et cetera. And so we help companies to leverage that side, to build that F1 cockpit for their company so that they can anticipate what's coming up. They can adjust to issues. They can be much more accurate and shift out of this sort of reactionary mode into more of a control mode and a mastery mode. Um, final comments there are for the executives, it gives them that oversight and coordination of this complex, multifaceted organization that they need. And for employees and everyone else, it gives them the instrumentation for their area of responsibility so that they have agency, they have control, they're the driver in the car, and they can see how that part contributes to the whole. So a lot of good things happen culturally with that in terms of productivity. Well, that was uh, a lot of um, great insight into what your business provides. But is it mostly service or is it mostly software? I'm just curious, before going to real estate, I, I did have a career in technology and we use some business intelligence software. And it is, of course, data driven. And um, it, 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 it's the, the, the BI just uh, supports executives decision-making process. Is this a BI software? Uh, I'm just curious, or is this a service mixed with a software? Yeah, so ours is a service. Uh, we So we work on the Microsoft platform. So all things Azure, Power BI, et cetera. Um, so we're not creating software. We're configuring and setting that up for clients. So we play the role both of strategic advisor from a data lens, from a feedback loop of you know, empirical numbers on how are we performing and how are various initiatives working and where do we have risk and all that stuff. Um, and then we actually do the engineering. So how do we set them up at the right level for scaling over the next three to five years um, to not create a system that has technical debt, they got to drag with them and it's difficult to use, but how do we really empower them with data how do we make it a managed asset that they have control of and can wield uh, with flexibility in an agile way in the way that they need? So, so that's what we do: advisory, strategically, and then engineering and and setup. Very cool. Um, who are your typical customers? So who? What community do you serve? <laughs> yeah. So almost all of our customers are mid-market, uh, really sort of fifty million to a billion in some cases, uh, small enterprise going above a billion. Um, we work also almost exclusively in the private equity realm. So uh, the majority of our customers have a PE sponsor. Uh, they're in some holding period, either at the beginning, middle or end, where they're trying to maximize return on that investment. Um, and so that's a big part of the role that we play is how do you increase the valuation, how do you sell, how do you uh, differentiate from the market, how do you maximize multiples for this company? Very interesting. And as you say, general private equity specializes on certain form of technology or some other subsector? General, typically. So uh, those that you know work in industrials and healthcare and software as a service and FinTech and those sorts of things. 
Um, we've had a few specializers as well in real estate, done some family offices and those sorts of things, things you're very familiar with. Um, and some that specialize just in healthcare, those types of things, but mostly generalists. Got you. So um, how do you go about running the whole project? I'm just curious, how do you go from cradle to grave or from, I guess, cradle to full operation on a, um, when you engage a private equity firm? Yeah, great question. So PE firms are typically looking for a playbook, some way to have a repeatable process that gets them advantage in the market, um, not a bespoke, let's start from scratch every time approach. So we've worked with about 270 companies to date, a few thousand projects. Uh, so have good, deep experience in five or six key industries, which most of which I've mentioned. Um, and what will happen is a PE firm has a portfolio company where poor visibility is a point of constraint somewhere. Top line growth, operational efficiency, supply chain, order to cash, something like that. And they're looking for better telemetry. As a board, they want to see, are we performing as expected? Are we tracking to the value creation plan? They also want their management teams to be data-driven in their decision-making and not reactive. Um, so they're looking for that, that advantage. And they'll typically set up a 30-minute call with one of the sponsoring executives at the portfolio company. We chat and see if we think alike and that there's an opportunity to really get some strong uh, value creation by in improving their visibility into the data. Uh, if there is, then we'll do a workshop where we look at their big picture. What's your business model? What's your value creation plan? Where are you going the next one to three years? What are the key initiatives that will get you there? What are the key risks? And ultimately, what is that first area where there's a, a light lift, but high impact? Uh, because there's a number of mistakes companies make in trying to leverage their data. Very few successfully become data-driven. And one of those is to take a waterfall approach. Let's gather up our 15 data sources, build, build a data lake, create reporting views, and then we'll start pumping out reports per request. Uh, that does not work for a lot of reasons. The risk involved, the scope creep, the disconnection between the engineering and the business strategy. What we found is that a modular agile approach, find an area that you can get a big win, create buy-in, show the potential of visualizing data in real time and sending it to people's phones and giving them an email automated update and those sorts of things. That will turn the lights on and quickly that'll spread once they see that potential. And so we look for that first area. It's typically in sales, top line growth, um, but it might be in some operational area. Yeah, that's very powerful. I, I happen to agree with you. If you tackle on a big project, uh, it's too big to tackle and, and it takes too much effort and very difficult to see the results until an enormous amount of time and energy and dollars spent and and that, that creates resistance. Uh, even if the project gets approved by the time it starts producing data, things have changed and changed too much. Yeah. That's, that's one of the problems. Um, We've learned but, that lesson the hard way a few times. Yeah, but uh, what's the, so I assume you look at both um, operating and financial data, and they um, also look at uh, points of, of risk. Um, so I'll give you a simple example, and I don't know if it's applicable to the P space. It's got to be applicable. It's applicable to real estate for sure. So interest rates have gone up, and uh, they've gone up. The 
uh, as I love to call it, too, too fast and too furious. And the result now, uh, it's causing impact on balance sheets and financials of a lot of, uh, obviously, real estate investments, but also corporate balance sheets. Um, does your work include what's the impact? How do you adjust? What's the strategy forward? Because th this is a, you call it, it's not exactly black swan event, but it's a, it's sort of uh, quiet, 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 and hurry up, we're behind from a fair yeah. perspective. And it's a, it's a major disruption. And I don't know if it's a, if, if you're seeing this type of a need in today's environment, uh, but a lot of corporate balance sheets have substantial amount of debt uh, to maximize returns of non equity. And uh, the game has changed drastically. And what happens now? Yeah, we we take the lead from the client, and you know, end up working through the various C suite positions, um, CIO, COO, CFO, etc. Um, we have found that the outlook is generally cautious. I'm sure you're hearing the various mixed messages, soft landing versus recession versus, you know, low, low unemployment versus interest rates. I mean, it's, it's sort of coming at us from every direction. I think all of that results in a fair amount of caution. And that actually, um, caters pretty well to what we do because when you are fat and happy and everything is going strong, uh, you can be, you can have quite a bit of sort of margin that you don't worry about. But when things are tightening up, money's more expensive, debt is a bigger issue, uh, then you need really good instrumentation to be able to manage to that. So it's often one of the earlier areas, financial reporting. It's not just taking the four main reports, P&L and cash flow and so on. Um, but digging into what matters to you and your business model, your investment model, um, and helping them to analyze that and to renegotiate or to at least have the insights to be able to renegotiate and to and manage debt and covenants and all those things. So we certainly do address that. It it largely depends on uh, where the urgency and risk is that the client sees. We don't come in as an FP&A advisor. But we've dealt with financials a lot. We have a couple of people with accounting backgrounds and our engineering staff, and so they can manage that language uh, pretty well. So it really depends on the scenario. I got you. So uh, it, th th that makes sense. But let's go back to the expected outcome. So as a result of the engagement, what do you typically produce? You produce business recommendations. You produce some differently organized data to point to paint the picture differently. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, all, all this work, uh, and, and, and it's got to be repeatable. It's almost like you're trying to build a system that operates on top of another system that generates uh, necessary information to help make the right decisions. Yeah. One thing that we found is if we... And this we've also learned years ago, School of Hard Knocks, if we position ourselves as, look, we're expert technicians, we've got all the certifications, we've got the experience, tell us what you want and we'll build it, you end up with pretty marginal results. So we have learned that we've got to put on our business analyst hat and spend a fair amount of time saying, what is the outcome you're looking to improve? What is the goal of this visibility that you want to gain in your top line growth or your financials or whatever the case is? And then really push the prospective client or existing client to define the 
value of improving those outcomes in real dollars. And that can be tough because folks will say, I don't know, there's no way to know. And there's various things that influence it. But essentially what we've learned is that we have to help them build a business case because it's amazing how people will engage in a project and make an investment on a notion that it will be helpful. And we are skeptical of that approach because if we build something on a notion, it wasn't thought through, it didn't have a real, real numbers, real dollar value at the end of it to guide the thinking as we develop it, you end up with you know, less than uh, enthusiastic clients. We feel bad. They feel bad. We do a lot of free work to try and fix it. So we spend a lot of time saying, what is the outcome? What is the value of that? What kind of budget do you have to work with? What's the approximate cost to deliver these, what you're after? Um, pressure testing all of that until we get to a scope that we are confident will deliver measurable value. Um, and then there's other pieces around it. If you just say, tell us the KPIs that you want and you put them up on a, on a sort of, you know, billboard of, of here's what you wanted to see, you also miss the mark. You have to understand who are the users of this report? Uh, what is their narrative for gaining awareness of how they're doing against that goal, that outcome? What's the analysis of why they're doing well or not? And what are the details to take action? So this awareness analysis action narrative, if you can mirror how they think about it already, then they'll adopt it. It'll become their second brain and you can really shift how they see things and how they make decisions. If it's, if it's sort of abstracted from how they think about things and it's a smattering of numbers and KPIs, people tend not to adopt, especially when the pressure's on, they go back to what they know. So it's really important that you design in a way that uh, follows how they think. And again, is sort of a second brain for them. Yeah, very interesting. Um, how long does an engagement take to, to go from a concept, again, defining the goals, as you pointed out, uh, to uh, an implementation or, or, or at least hitting a critical milestone? Yeah, so defining the objectives, designing it, Connecting to a data source or two, whether it's NetSuite or Salesforce or you name it, um, structuring that data so that it's conducive to reporting, not just for us, but for them ongoing, and then building some best practice dashboards that begin to, to move the needle typically is four to six weeks to get that done. Um, and so a series of sprints um, will get to where you've got the whole company wired for that. And all these supporting reporting areas roll up into an executive view, <clears throat> a sort of single pane of glass. And we also focus on helping companies to equip themselves to have the resources internally. So we'll help them vet candidates and train people and do ride-alongs and do support so that they are not beholden to an outside source. We sort of embrace that. Uh, you know, ultimately you, you want to be able to fire us type of thing, because that's, that's where the biggest value is and where clients see value, they'll talk about us. So we're motivated to help them do that. So that's part of the process. And that might take a year or more for a company to really become masterful with their data, get it organized as a managed asset. Um, and we see, I don't know, less than 10% of companies do that successfully out there at large. Uh, because it's so easy to just turn it over to IT and have it wander in the woods and become another convoluted 
system. Um, it really needs to be intentional and built piece by piece and develop the resources internally till they can own it. And it becomes a pillar of how they drive their company. Yeah, I appreciate the qualification. And again, I'm going back to my IT days and um, remembering uh, when I was running one of the departments was uh, data warehousing and business intelligence. And it's it's complicated. Uh, IT people seem to uh, make it more complicated than it has to be. And the bigger the data source and, and the more people depend on it, the more complexity. And, and you're right from the point of view that consultants come in and Sometimes they basically build themselves a job for years to come. It's almost um, four to six weeks. It's almost difficult to believe that you can go from, uh, I guess if you plug yourself on top of robust implementation of Salesforce or something else, then you can get something out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I, You know, it's so often companies approach it as we're going to, put together the data warehouse and reporting views and then build the reports. We have tested this over and over and over um, at, at clients prompting. Ultimately, we're always building the data where, warehouse in response to the business model and key metrics and how they need to view the numbers in order to be able to run and analyze the business and make decisions. That drives how you structure the data. And we do it again in modules. We look at the big picture and then we do it in pieces so that each one builds on top of the next and you're not creating rework or cul-de-sacs. Um, we just haven't found a more efficient way to do that. So one of those sprints is typically four to six weeks. There can be snags in there around data governance. Companies don't invest enough in making sure their data is clean and will show up and they have one customer that is described literally 14 different ways in their various systems. Uh, it, it, depending on the case, you actually need an employee or more resources that their job is to make the data clean and to make sure processes are being followed and you don't have an unreliable mess in there. So that can slow things down. It's not really the work we're doing, but advising them along the way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, I guess it's a big data problem at the end of the day, you're solving a form of a big data problem and uh, designing and organizing the data is probably as big of an element as uh, being able to draw conclusions, garbage yes. in, garbage out. If you yes. don't have good data, you will build a uh, sophisticated, smart uh, beast that operates on top of bad data, probably going to spit out bad data. So, yeah, it, it's important that. So, our engineering team is about half data visualization engineers and half data architects. And the one really feeds the other. It starts with what are the outcomes we're after? who's the user, what's the visualizations and the insights they need. And that informs the data architecture. And then you've got to build the architecture, not in some arcane way, someone who's done it twice and has a theory, but in a really sort of, you know, cutting leading edge, best practices, common nomenclature, easy to transfer the knowledge. As soon as it's in a black box in the basement with IT, you've sort of lost half the battle. You should be able as a CEO to say, how often do we refresh that data and what tables are we pulling and be able to pull that up yourself or get an answer in five minutes, not two weeks. Um, so that that's something we've learned over time as well. Yeah, that's a great point. The whole um, key benefit of the um, being an external consultant specialist is that you can actually come in and save a lot of time and energy and internal learning and errors, trial and error. Yes, right. the level of expertise you bring. So, um, 
how would folks get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach out if they're interested in uh, learning more about what you do or uh, look at uh, working with you? Yeah. So we're bluemargin.com. Um, they can also reach me via email, John, which is J-O-N. There's no H, just J-O-N at bluemargin.com. Um, they can also call me 970-214-1652. I'm on LinkedIn and we have a podcast um, at uh, The Dashboard Effect, which they can find on any major platform. So always happy to chat, uh, no strings attached. Uh, we're, we're happy to share our knowledge. Our sort of, our mission is to rid the mid-market of poor visibility because of all the pathologies it creates in a business and the joy that we've experienced in having real transparency and, and sort of team ownership of the goal. Uh, there's good things that can happen there. So we're happy to save someone a couple of years of pain just with some advice and some um, calling out of pitfalls that most companies get snagged in. Yeah, I appreciate your great wisdom. That's that's a lot of um, a lot of sharing and a lot of um, years of experience uh, to get to the right place faster and and a lower cost. So, thank you. And uh, it's the um, it's just bluemargin.com, right? Yep, that's it. Very cool. Thank you for coming on a podcast. Appreciate your uh, your time and your your energy and your wisdom. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.